Namaste. In chapter 4 of the Srimad Bhagavad Gita, Shloka 35, Krishna says, Yajnyatvana punarbohamevam yasyasi pandava yena bhutanya sheshani drakshasyatman yatomai After acquiring that knowledge, O Arjuna, you will not be deluded like this anymore. And by that knowledge, you will see all creatures in you and them in me. Have you heard of the Kenopanishad? The first two shlokas of the Kenopanishad go like this. Om Keneshitam Patati Preshitam Manaha Kena Pranaha Pratama Praiti Yuktaha Keneshitam Vajamimam Vadanti Chakshuhu Kshotram Kaudevo Yunakti The second the translation. The pupil asks, Whose is the will that directs the mind towards the object? Upon whose command does prana, the foremost, act? Impelled by whom? Do men utter words or speak? What God directs the eyes and the ears? The teacher replies, It is the year of the year, the mind of the mind, and the speech of the speech, who is also the prana of the prana, and the eye of the eye. The wise who know this and have relinquished all false identification of the self with the senses are released and are immortal when they depart the world. I'll ask you a simple question that one of my teachers would usually ask confused dualists. Would a person who has drunk divine nectar settle for some ordinary fizzy drink from a roadside stall? That is exactly the way a person who has acquired the supreme knowledge of Vedanta would not be affected by all the childish and unintellectual stuff sold in the name of religion. Anyone who has attained the supreme knowledge of Vedanta would not be influenced or bothered by trivial and mundane matters or by beguilers masquerading as spiritual gurus. That is the reason why my focus is always on encouraging and enabling people to first read a simple translation of the Srimad Bhagavad Gita before studying it in detail and acquire the ultimate knowledge of the self. It is rather clear that a person who has acquired the ultimate knowledge would be good at all his or her interactions with others and with nature as a whole. Don't you think so? I can say for sure that if you patiently travel with me through this presentation until its end, you will feel much lighter at heart, clearer about highly essential facts of Vedanta, and you will be free from unwanted fears or mental worries. Now, let me begin with today's topic of moksha or salvation. Haven't we heard people who are stuck in unfavorable situations say, oh, how I wish I could get moksha from this difficult situation. Or in Tamil, in Hindi, hey Bhagwan, mujhe is kathin paristhiti se kab moksha milega? In Telugu, oh Devura, in Canada, O Devare, 
ಈ ಕಠಿಣವಾದ ಪರಿಸ್ಥಿತಿಯಿಂದ ನಾನು ಯಾವಾಗ ಮೋಕ್ಷವನ್ನು ಪಡೆಯುತ್ತೇನೆ ಎನ್ ಮರಾಠಿ ಅರೆ ದೇವ ಯಾ ಕಠಿಣ ಪರಿಸ್ಥಿತಿ ತುಂಬಲ ಮೋಕ್ಷ ಕದಿ ಬಿಡೈನ್ ಮಲಯಾಳಂ ಎಂದೇ ದೇವಮೇ ಈ ವಿಷಮಕರಮಾಯ ಅವಸ್ಥೆಯಲ್ಲಿ ನಿಂದು ಎನಿಕಿ ಎಪ್ಪೋಳಾನ ಮೋಕ್ಷ ಲಭಿಕ್ಕಿಗ what these people mean by the word moksha is release that's right release but release from what they actually know subconsciously that moksha means release but still when it comes to what happens after death they feel moksha means attaining some other world the feet of krishna sitting next to vishnu in vaikuntha and so on another thing most of us have heard people saying um, upon some good person's demise that that deceased person must have attained moksha or salvation because he or she was noble kind gentle and above all god fearing there are a couple of questions that arise from what i said just now a what is moksha b why should anyone be god fearing and a sub question who or what is god i am repeating this but let me stress the fact that a lot of people truly believe that if they led a religious and pious life they would go to a place called vaikuntha after death and that over there krishna perumal or vishnu would give them moksha a very old friend of mine who is in his 50s considers himself highly pious on the wall of his puja room he has a number of pictures of various deities and of holy people many of them with long beards who are no more a couple of years ago as i was giving him a short discourse on karma yoga i was shocked to come to understand that he actually believed that there literally was a place called vaikuntha where vishnu could be seen resting on adisesha and that is the place to which good souls who have attained moksha go he swore by what he said because that is what his religious guru had explained to him and hence he believed it to be true such a belief is the result of taking allegories literally because of the way they are peddled by some godmen and godwomen which are reverently and with bhakti accepted by the ignorant masses it took me some effort to try to explain to him that 100% of what is said in the puranas and even in the shrimad bhagavad gita is allegorical but his twisted understanding of the term bhakti would not let him open his inner eye and see the truth and particularly because it was not some great guru or baba who was enlightening him but it was me his friend whom he has known since childhood who was imparting him with vedantic knowledge let us analyze the word moksha which is a term so highly misunderstood misrepresented misused and abused by people primarily by those who have vested interests in keeping the masses ignorant a lot of people have been made to believe through systematic brainwashing that moksha or salvation is something that one can achieve only after death now let us look at it rationally what is moksha where is it available is it some thing that one can acquire as in the second shloka of the kenopanishad i quoted earlier we could say that 
moksha is the release from one's identification with a perishable body. And here again, please do not confuse what I'm saying with what you might have watched in some Indian films, that the spirit of one person leaves and enters into another. Moksha is definitely not something one can get, acquire or receive from somewhere or someone. It is always there, but it has been shrouded by ignorance. I'll give an analogy given by Shankara Bhagavad Pada, quoted by one of my revered teachers of Vedanta to explain this truth. The great sage of Vedanta, Shankara Bhagavad Pada, said that moksha was like health. It is always there. Think of a person who prays, Oh God, please give me good health. What sense does that make? Is health a product that someone could give you? No, as, uh, as far as a person who does not have any major congenital illnesses is concerned, his or her health or arogya is a normal state. It is usually viral and bacterial attacks from outside that come and disturb the default status of good health in a person and cause disease. Moksha, is, moksha which is always there in a person, has been affected by bacteria and viruses in the forms of attachments, vasanas, dualistic beliefs, asuric thoughts and overall imbalance in the ratio of the three gunas of a person. If you thought deeply, you would realize the futility and meaninglessness of praying to receive good health. How can you receive good health? Diseases come and go, but not health, which is always there but is attacked and affected by pathogens. In my experience, I have found that the various unintellectual and illogical dualistic paths followed by and preached by certain teachers were the result of their simply not being able to attain the mental level of Sri Adishankaracharya of experiencing all-pervading oneness. It has been the Savunodrishti, or perceiving the Supreme Divine Principle with a form, that has been the one that has succeeded in keeping almost an entire population in childish beliefs, leading them to superstition and other delusional states of mind, and blocking actual spiritual and intellectual growth. What else could be the reason for people to not use their power of reason, sincerely believe that there is some guy out there in some place above in another world, and that once you get there, you would be given moksha. Look, when a person is dead, he or she is dead. Finito. Their brain does not work anymore, and naturally they have no consciousness or awareness. So how can they experience moksha? Moksha is not some candy or any other object, and as I said earlier, it is not something that can be received by someone, from someone, or from some deity or god. In the first chapter of the Srimad Bhagavad Gita, Shloka 42, Arjuna gives Krishna one of the reasons for not wanting to fight. Arjuna says, Sankaro such unwanted population created by the chaos in the families resulting from the deaths of the menfolk in the battle create hell for everyone and they destroy family traditions. He then says that ancestors of such fallen families 
would be deprived of offerings made to departed souls. Does Krishna say anything in response to this? No. Nevertheless, in Shloka 228, Krishna says that before birth, all beings are in their unmanifest form. And they are manifest in the middle and then become unmanifest again. So why grieve? Again, moksha can be experienced only when a person is alive and conscious and not when they are dead. When one is dead, that particular individual with a certain pattern of thoughts called their mind, which is based on their gunas, their genes, DNA, face and body, simply cannot function anymore. Shall I give you a simple definition of moksha that Sri Shankara Bhagavad Pada or Adi Shankaracharya gave? This is again something that I have learned from one of my honorable teachers. Brahma Bhavasya Moksha. Brahman is Moksha. Jivatma is Paramatma and Paramatma is Moksha. Please note that he neither said that the Jivatma will become Paramatma nor will Paramatma give Moksha. I repeat, Moksha is not something in a physical or in an abstract form that God, Deity or some great person can give you. Then what in the world is moksha? It is the realization of the all-pervading Atmasvarupam and the awareness that I, and not my ego, am that supreme all-pervading truth and experiencing the Mahavakya Aham Brahmasmi. Remember Shloka 4, 246? A man of self-realization has attained all the purposes that all the Vedas serve. I'll now give you three shlokas from the Srimad Bhagavad Gita that can help you in leading you towards understanding what moksha truly means and what is known as the ultimate state. Shloka 270 he who is steady, in spite of the never-ending flow of desires, just like the ocean is, although so many rivers enter it, can attain peace. But one who is desirous of pleasures cannot achieve it. 271. The person who has renounced all attachment to all sense objects, lives with no sense of ownership and is free from false pride, thus attaining peace. Now comes the most important shloka, I'll first say it in Sanskrit because it feels amazing to say it in Sanskrit and then give you its translation. 272 This spiritual state or the Brahmi state of Partha removes all confusion from the mind. This state of mind of a person at the time of death helps him or her attain nirvana in the Supreme Brahman. Brahmisthiti, the supreme state of divine realization and experience. This state cannot be brought from outside. It is already there, but has been shrouded by ignorance, superstition, dualism, the identification with the body, false ego, and so on. Sitvasyamantakalepi, holding on to such a Brahmi state even at the time of death. Brahma Nirvana Attaining 
oneness with Brahman, which he or she, in fact, already is, but is unaware due to Agnana or nations. So let me say it again. Moksha does not come after death, but it can be experienced only before death. It is a state of supreme understanding of the ultimate truth and that this grand state of mind enables a comfortable, pleasant, peaceful and blissful exit out of one's janma or mortal body. Shloka 5.23 Shaknu tihaiva yasodu prakshareera vimokshanat kamakrodhaat bhayam vegam sa yuktaha sa a person who, before giving up his body, is able to tolerate his urges of desire and anger that are generated in him, is a self-controlled and happy yogi. 524. A person who is ever happy within, who rejoices within, and who is illumined within is a yogi who attains absolute freedom, total self-realization and moksha. Such a person becomes one with the Supreme Bhagavan or Brahman. Shloka 1830 The kind of understanding by which one realizes the path of work and of renunciation, what should be done and what should not be done, what needs to be feared and what is not to be feared, what leads one to bondage and what leads one to liberation is known to be sattvic origina. Shloka 1866 what a fascinating, beautiful shloka it is. Giving up all your varieties of righteousness or religion. Take complete refuge in me. I will liberate you from all sinful reactions. Do not fear, says Krishna. In shloka 1866, Krishna literally means, literally asks Arjuna to give up all his meaningless thoughts, ideas, notions, arguments and rituals and to take to the path of Vedanta taught by Krishna and attain self-realization through knowledge. Now here is Shloka 1515. This Shloka is in the Tushtuk Chanda with 11 syllables polite. Sarvasya chaham ridisa nivishto mattahas pratirgnyanam apohanam cha vedaishcha sarvairahameva vidyo vedanta krutveda videva chaham Krishna says, I am seated in the heart of all beings. Memory, knowledge and the power of reasoning come from me. I alone and that which has to be known by all the Vedas. I am the author of Vedanta and the knower of the Vedas. Now here is something really interesting. The typical examples used by great teachers of Vedanta are those of an earthen pot, the ocean and a gold ornament. But before we go to these examples, let us do a little bit of preparation. This is also something that I learned from one of my most revered and dearest spiritual teachers. Please position yourself at a place close to some door or window 
through which you can see the sky. Okay? Now, shut your eyes and visualize the sky. See the sky in your mind. I will count up to five, after which you may open your eyes. One, two, three, four, and five. Now open your eyes and look at the sky through the window or door. What is the difference between the sky you imagined and the sky you actually see? If you say you imagined clouds or birds in the sky, but you do not see them in the sky that you see now, from the window or door, or if the sky is dark now, remember that the clouds, the birds, the blue color, or the darkness of the sky are not the sky. It is because the sky simply means emptiness. Now consider uh, this question of mine. Which is greater? Something or nothing? I would say that the answer is nothing. Why? Because, well, think about it. Where do all the planets, stars and galaxies exist? In space, of course. And what is space? Nothing. So we could say with confidence that everything exists in nothing. Before we go to the examples of the earthen pot, the ocean and a gold ornament, let us quickly try to understand what Shiva and Shakti are. Is Shiva that tough guy you see on calendars who has a snake around his neck and sits on a block of ice in the Himalayas? And is Parvati or Shakti that beautiful goddess wife of his who is always beside him? They are, certainly, beautiful representations of the great truth, which is that Shakti is existence or space and Shiva is the awareness of existence. They are known as Sat and Chit. The one who truly knows this is ever blissful, subject ananda, existence, knowledge, bliss. Now, let us get to the three examples. The first example. Think of an empty earthen pot. You know that there is empty space within the pot and also outside the pot. Is that right? Now, imagine you take the pot and you drop the pot on the ground and broke it. We can learn two things from this example. A. The space that was there in the pot and the space outside cannot be separated after the pot broke. B. The clay of which the pot was made continues to be clay, but there is no pot. Now, just try to think. Would you have been able to remove the clay from the pot? No. The second example. Imagine the vast, seemingly endless Indian Ocean. Now, consider the waves, both big and small. Are they separate from the ocean? Or are they temporary physical forms that arose from the ocean? Would it be possible to remove the ocean or its water from and let only the waves to exist? That would not be possible, because the waves are the ocean. Would it be possible to remove the waves from the ocean? Well, with no wind, and when the moon is in its apogee position, there will be no waves. But the ocean will still continue to be. Waves rise from the ocean 
and once they complete their short rise, they fall back into the ocean and lose their identity of being waves. It is the same as all living beings come into existence and at the end of their period on their planet, their physical form perishes and becomes one with the elements while the self is free from the identification of the physical body and becomes one with the all-pervading self. The third example. Imagine you are at a jeweler's place and you ask him to make a chain out of your mother's old gold bangle. The goldsmith would first melt the bangle and then create the new piece of ornament that you asked for. Can you remove the gold from the gold ornament? No. Can you destroy the form of the ornament and give it a new shape? Yes. So what we can understand is that the substance always remains unchanged. And it is only the forms that arise from it that change or can be changed. In the cases of the pot, the ocean and the gold ornament, it was the clay, water and gold, respectively, that were the substances. The pot, the waves and the ornaments were their forms. Now come back to existence. Sat and Chit, or Shiva and Shakti, are the substance. And all the galaxies, stars, planets, the earth, and all living beings and non-living beings on, on earth that we know are projections that arose from one, that one substance. Now please do not consider Shiva and Shakti to be separate because by doing so, not only it would lead to duality, but you would be missing out on the grand truth they represent. Shakti is existence and Shiva is the awareness of existence. Now say, I am. Think, can you separate the feeling of I from your existence? That's not possible. The French philosopher, René Descartes, who is uh, known as the father of modern philosophy, conclusively said, cogito ergo sum, which means I think and therefore I am. But the Upanishadic view is that I am and therefore I think, simply because there cannot be anything greater than the all-pervading self which we call Brahman. Nevertheless, whatever it is, I am and existence cannot be separated. Think about the whole. It is unimaginable and indefinable because it is formless and endless. Om Purnamada Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachate Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vrishishate Om Shanti 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 The invisible absolute Brahman is complete and this universe is complete. The visible complete whole comes from the invisible perfect and complete whole. Even when the complete visible whole is removed from the invisible complete whole, the absolute Brahman or the complete whole remains unchanged. The whole is known as Brahman, Paramatma, Paramarthatattvam, and is usually personified as Krishna. Here is a lovely shloka from the Guru Gita. Om Brahmanandam Paramasukhatam Kevalam Nyadamurti Dvandvatitam Gavinasatrasham Tattvamasyadilaksham Ekam Nityam Vimalamachalam Sarvadhi Sakshibhutam
భావాతీతం త్రిగుణరహితం సద్గురుం తమన భావి మై ఒబేసన్స్ టు ద గురు ద బ్లెస్ ఆఫ్ బ్రాహ్మణ్ ద వన్ హూ బిస్టోస్ సుప్రీమ్ హ్యాపీనెస్ అండ్ ఇస్ నాలెడ్జ్ పర్సనిఫైడ్ to the one who transcends the pairs of opposites is vast as the sky and who is known as that you are to the one who is eternal pure unchanging and is the witness of the functions of the intellect to the one who is above all mental states and the three gunas my salutations to that divine guru shloka 132 from the avadhuta gita now this is really awesome न घटो न घटाकाशो न जीवो न जीव विग्रह केवल ब्रह्म संविधि वेद्य वेद कवर्जित डिस्टिंक्शन बिट्वीन अ पॉट एंड द स्पेस विद इन डू नॉट एग्जिस्ट इन ब्राह्मण देर इज नाइदर द इंडिविजुअल सोल नो देर इज द फॉर्म ऑफ द इंडिविजुअल सोल रियलाइज द एब्सोल्यूट ब्राह्मण विच इज नाइदर नो नो कैन बी मेड नो Shloka 134 of the Avadhuta Gita. Vedana loka na surana yajna varnashramo naiva kulam na jatihi na dhuma margo na chadipti margo brahmahikurupam paramartha tattva. There are no Vedas, no worlds, no gods, no sacrifices. There is certainly no caste, no stage in life, no family, no birth. There is neither the path of smoke nor the path of light. There is only the one highest truth, the eternal Brahman. I find it truly hilarious to see people who take sides with Shiva or Krishna and fight with each other. Such people have nothing to do with spiritual knowledge, but they only behave like little children fighting over who is greater, Spider-Man or Batman. They really need to cultivate some respect for the greatest science of Vedanta. Have you watched my video Asamgoham written by Sri Adishankaracharya? Understanding it can give you instantaneous moksha and you certainly do not have to die to attain it. You are not your perishable body. You or rather yourself are not separate from other selves because the self is all pervading just like there cannot be two different skies. Tell me the difference between the sky you saw through your mind and the one you saw through your eyes. How can you differentiate them? the space inside the pot and the space outside the pot are not different the waves in the ocean are not different from the ocean and the ornament is not different from gold which is the substance of which it is made krishna says in shloka 1205 klesho dikatrastesha avyakta sakta chetasa avyakta hi gatir dukham dehavat biravapyate those whose minds are set on an unmanifest and impersonal absolute power face difficulties in reaching the goal this is because people always identify with the body and when there is no perceptible form it is difficult to perceive forms help you in channeling your thoughts away from unwanted vasanas or past impressions in your mind the bhakti marga and the karma marga are in fact stages before you attain the highest stage of jnana or supreme knowledge nahi jnane na sadrsham pavitra meha vidyate 
There is nothing more purifying than knowledge, says Shloka 438. You don't look for Krishna or God or whatever you call it outside you, but it is the realization that the self in you is that all-pervading self. That is the ultimate goal. Shloka 1322 or 23 in some editions. Yet within the body resides the Supreme Bhavan, who is also called the spectator, the one who permits, the supporter and the transcendental enjoyer. He is the Paramatma, the Supreme Self, Shloka 1323 or 24. One who comprehends this truth about the Purusha or spirit, Prakriti or matter, and the interaction of the Gunas is liberated, and whatever condition such a person may be in will not take birth again. So remember, moksha is not something you get after death, but you achieve it while you're still alive, when your brain is functioning, and when you're conscious. Another thing, if you come across some self-styled yogi who in his books claims to be able to fly from one body to another or can travel to different continents instantaneously, either he or she is fibbing or they mean the mind which can anyway travel in a blink of an eye to even a galaxy that is billions of light years away from Earth. Let us strive to cut out all the mumbo-jumbo and begin to understand Vedanta which is pure science and is 100% rational. Before I conclude, I would like to quote two shlokas from the Srimad Bhagavad Gita. Shloka 434 Acquire knowledge through reverence to teachers who have known the truth. Serve them and ask them questions until all of them are answered. The wise who know the truth will teach it to you. Do you know what a lot of people do? They keep the reverence to teachers part of it, of the shloka, but ignore the acquire knowledge part of it. That's sad, isn't it? Shloka 1304 or 1305 in some editions. Great sages have sung about the absolute truth in various hymns of the Brahma Sutras and have described it through reason and logic with unambiguous evidence. Stop asking childish and unintellectual questions such as why was I born or what is the purpose of my life, but work on realizing, work on learning to realize your true divine self. Use all the resources available to you and do the things that would make you feel good about yourself, both when living and, sorry for being so blunt, also as you die someday in the future. Satisfy your conscience. Krishna is not outside you, but is that very conscience in you. 
In the path of Vedanta, there are no such things as blind belief, obedience, the fear of God, and other such kiddish ideas found in many organized religions. It should suffice to be hungry and yet a modest seeker. Logically speaking, in my humble opinion, believing in something simply means ceasing to learn anything further. Actually, it sounds arrogant to me. It's like saying what I believe in is right and what you believe in is wrong. Never stop asking questions. Never stop learning. To quote Steve Jobs, stay hungry, stay foolish. Thank you. May peace reign in your heart, mind and soul. Jai Shri Krishna.